From Beginning to End, a Good Omens podfic, written by Entangled Now and read by Job. Summary Aziraphale suffers the effects of a demon's venom. Crowley tries to help him as best as he can. Aziraphale is not feeling his best. He can't remember indulging, but he must have done. He must have done. There's that familiar swaying malleability to the world that comes from having a few too many glasses of something or other, but he can't quite manage to sober himself up this time. There had been another demon here before, but now there was only Crowley. Only ever Crowley. His Crowley. Aziraphale, look at me. Crowley's hands on his face are shockingly warm. They so rarely touch skin to skin, and that suddenly seems unbearable. Aziraphale's head just tips slowly backwards, and the whole world briefly threatens to go with him. But Crowley is there to catch him, to make sure he doesn't fall. His face is so close, all angles, a thousand expressions between the set of his mouth and the crinkle of his eyes. There are shades in his hair Aziraphale's not sure he's ever seen, hints of red and gold and tan, every strand divine, a quiet blasphemy where no one can hear him. I am looking he says, belatedly. That you are, Crowley frowns, though the change leaves him no less lovely. It pulls at his eyes and mouth in a way that Xerophil would dearly love to touch, to smear with his fingers. But your eyes look like whirlpools right now. Xerophil hums in pleasure at the compliment. Hmm. I've always thought your eyes were beautiful as well, he confesses. He's wanted to say that so many times, and he can't for the life of him remember why he hasn't done. You have a constellation of flicks in them, like you're hiding stars. Crowley makes noises at him. Aziraphale is usually so good at translating them into words, but everything feels strangely difficult right now. There's a new mystery to the familiar hums and catches of breath that's oddly frustrating. Why can't he sober up? Where did he touch you, Angel? Best to wash it off straight away. Who? Aziraphale has a brief memory of a very rude demon one who'd grabbed and threatened and... Oh, he was very impolite. He bit me, you know. Crowley's aura flares at the edges, and Aziraphale instinctively tries to soothe it. I didn't want him to bite me, of course. You mustn't go around biting people. That seems right. Not Crowley, though. Not Crowley, who has never once bitten him, 
though the Xerophil may have thought about it a great deal over the years, watching the slow dig of teeth into fruit, odd that they are both referred to as flesh, perhaps something in the language tree, or a poem that made it real, the flesh of the fruit, ripe and a catching bite, the tender softness of it taking an imprint of teeth. Is that from a poem too, or just his own head? It's so hard to tell sometimes. Oh, but he doesn't want Crony to think he means him. Certainly not. I don't mean you, darling. Of course, you could bite me if you wanted to. I think about it sometimes when you slide in beside me. If... I was to tip my hat just a little. I think I would like that. He would like that very much, he thinks, to offer up the fruit flesh of his neck for crony to taste. How odd it always comes back to apples in the end. Hush, crony tells him, his voice strangely raw. Best. If you just stay quiet for a bit, it's not really, not really fair on you. What isn't? Did something happen? Did something happen to him? It must have done, or Crony would not be so concerned. Tell me where the demon bit you, Angel, Crony asks. It takes Aziraphale a moment to recall the event clearly. His memories are slow to cooperate today. His body seems to get there before his mouth, because he lifts his arm, bent at the elbow, displaying the ragged tears in his coat and shirt, the blood seeping into the material. Seeing it makes him remember all over again, and he's struck by how unpleasant it all was. Crowley takes his arm gently, holds it, and levels a look of such fury at his torn clothes. I can fix them, don't worry, Aziraphale says, hoping to reassure him. Everything can be fixed if you are persistent enough. Of course it can. You shouldn't have to fix them. This was my stupid fault. He followed me here and then waited for me to leave. I should have been more careful. Self-recrimination for something Aziraphale barely remembers seems silly. There's no harm done, except to his clothes. He lifts his other hand, the one not torn and bitten and wounded by rude visitors, and pets his oldest friend in a way he hopes is soothing. Psh, I'm quite capable of taking care of myself. You worry too much. Please don't worry so much about me. It turns people grey, worrying so much. Not them, of course. People. Human people. Are they people too? He'd wondered sometimes, returned to the thought over and over. He thinks they are, but Crowley's hair will always remain the same, 
which is a comfort, because he loves it so very much. It's such a beautiful color. He thinks it will be soft, too, softer than he's imagined. And you used to wear ribbons. Crowley's face looks pained. Mantis has secretions. You might feel a bit woozy for a while. Say some things you regret. Washing it off the skin helps. Aziraphale can help with that, he thinks. I have a bathroom. That seems to amuse Crowley, at least. Yeah, I know you do. Come on, then, upstairs. Aziraphale isn't sure what he means for a moment, certain that they're upstairs already. But he turns out to be mistaken, because Crowley's arm curls around his back, and he's being asked to climb the stairs while they make a stubborn point of moving underneath him. Blasted inconvenient! Still, Crowley seems happy to let him tuck in close while he does most of the navigating. The comforting warmth of the demon's body is such a visceral pleasure against his own that he can't help but register disappointment when he finds that they've reached his bathroom and he's left standing alone and unsupported once again. I'll help you wash up, and then I'll leave you in your room to get through the worst of it. What's happening? Aziraphale can't seem to hold onto anything. Why can't he sober up? Mentus bit you, and now his venom is in your system. He's not here anymore, but you'll still take a while to come out of it. It makes you want to share. It also makes you more obedient, more accommodating, occasionally aggressive. I don't really know, to be honest. I've mostly only seen it affect demons and humans. Dear, Aziraphale says, because that sounds like a sticky situation. I'm terribly sorry. It doesn't seem sufficient, but Crowley is gently unknotting his bow tie, and he finds that the focus of far too much of his attention. I can see the marks on your neck. Where else did he touch you? Aziraphale has to think about it. It feels like it happened such a long time ago. The demon did touch him, but it's a jumble of grabbing and shaking, combined with the dizzy unpleasantness of knowing that their behavior had been very unexpected and unpleasant. He was very rude. He took no notice at all when I told him to stop, he adds, because that's a thing he remembers being very sure about. Crowley's gentle support becomes something altogether stiffer, the angles of him harder, the grip of his fingers more purposeful. But Aziraphale finds he doesn't mind so much. You can touch me if you like. He offers. You are quite welcome to touch me. 
You never do. I thought perhaps it was because I hadn't explicitly said, and I felt terrible because no one told me that I could confess how much that would please me. I would very much like you to touch me, and perhaps you would like the same in return. The don't reach out and touch crony part of his head had been over loud of late. Crowley goes very still next to him, the hands that had been turning his collar suddenly stiff and uncertain. It feels like a wrong sort of stillness, though Aziraphale can hear air hissing out of him, a low, steady escape that brings to mind kettles and old-fashioned steam trains. They'd taken a train once. Crowley's knee had knocked gently against his for the whole journey. There had been something warming about it. Aziraphale had remembered it for so long after. He wonders sometimes if Crowley wants as much as him. A quiet sort of yearning to reach out. I've thought about you touching me. Thought that you might want to. Sometimes, when I'm alone at night, I'll slip into my bed and picture it, you lying next to me. Zerophil. The sound of his name is pressed fiercely to his temper, and he can't help tipping into it, feeling Crowley's breath through his hair. Angel, you need to stop talking. Oh, but I have so much that I want to tell you, Aziraphale says hurriedly. The words roll in the back of his throat, eager to be free. All the things he's held back, pushed determinedly down. Things that he wants Crowley to know. Not secrets. Secrets are complicated things which hurt, getting heavier the longer you hold them. There are so many things I thought about, but never got to say. I never said anything. Isn't that cowardly of me? To know that the silence was entirely my fault, because I didn't have the strength for it. You were saying it in your own way. You've always been far braver than I. Zerophil, please. Stop talking. The words are quiet and there's no bite to them, so he plunges on. I'd send you home from the bookshop and then take to my bed and wonder if you would ever want to lie there in the dark next to me, to stay until dawn. I imagined myself asking and it felt so terribly scandalous that the words never came. Sometimes I thought you might reach out and touch me first. You've always been so brave. I told myself you would reach out if I waited long enough. But it's been so very long. So instead I touched myself and I pretended it was you. Did you ever pretend you were me? I would like, 
I think I would like us to pretend together. There's an indrawn breath against her skin. Something of a word, though a Xerophia doesn't catch it. You can tell me tomorrow. Crowley's voice is dry, all the hiss gone from it, clipped as though he's biting his tongue. I have forgotten by then, Xerophia protests, and it's very important if you're going to touch me too. Hmm. Crowley agrees. The bathroom is bright, and Aziraphi listens to the throb-throb of the water filling the sink as Crowley wets a cloth, wrings it in his long hands. Aziraphi feels strangely light as he watches that twist of droplets fall, all emptied out of words. Can't miracle this clean. Too much of another demon's essence in it. Crowley's voice is suddenly loud, the words clipping out, as if he's talking over someone who isn't speaking. Or perhaps just the water. Will you get in trouble? Zerophil asks, because the other demon, the unpleasant one, who'd grabbed and pulled and bit him. The other demon is gone, and Aziraphale is not sure where, but he thinks that it matters. You won't get in trouble? I won't get in trouble, Crowley reassures him. And don't worry where they went. It doesn't matter right now. Time seems to slide away for a while. But then there's a cool cloth working at Aziraphale's jaw and neck. The slow stroke of it on his skin is oddly soothing. Crowley is close enough to reach out and touch, and curling his fingers round the edges of his black jacket isn't so difficult. He can't remember where his own is, if he lost it on the journey upstairs. Or perhaps... Crowley took it. He's sure that it will be somewhere safe, though. Crowley has never mistreated his things. Unlike the other demon, who'd knocked over an entire... My books! Zerophil exclaims, remembering the whole scene, how they had scuffled by his desk, banging into a display. They fell from the table. Harsh, Crowley tells him. It's fine, Angel. I'll pick them up for you. Just let me wash this off. He relaxes. Of course Crowley will take care of everything. Doesn't he always? Doesn't he always? You're very good to me. Aziraphale wants Crowley to know how much he appreciates him. It's important to him. He doesn't say it enough. Or perhaps ever. You're always so good to me, Crowley. Ah, you're doing half the work yourself. The cloth rubs at the bend of his neck and then moves to his wrists and hands before Xerophy realizes that he didn't, in fact, mean to reference the washing. Xerophy is barely happy with that at all. 
He's so very hot, though. His skin is itching and droply restless. He thinks it w- he thinks he would like to be on his bed with his shirt unbuttoned and Crowley's long, clever fingers on him. The feathers off track of them across his chest. Perhaps testing that the strange demon didn't do further harm. Or maybe just continuing the progress of the damp cloth across his feverish skin. He can picture the soothing hush-hush of Crowley's voice while the cloth draws the unbearable heat out of him, leaving a prickle of damp skin in its wake. He imagines suddenly a cloth drawing over his chest, leaving his nipples peaked in the air of the room, the hot stretch of his thighs drawn open to dampen between, air dragging on skin that feels too tight. Crowley will tell him that everything is fine, while the cloth soothes the burning ache out of him, a slow rhythm of passes that stills the please in his throat. Aziraphale thinks for a moment that it might be a memory, so vivid is the feel of it. But Crowley has never been in his bed, never hushed him quiet with his own mouth. Crowley at the sink, and Crowley in the bed with him, it's like one of those puzzles, living things occupying the same space at the same time. Am I? The thought disappears before he can quite grab it. Are you what? Crowley asks, rinsing the cloth and wringing it out again before he lays it back against the hot skin of his neck. Aziraphale isn't sure how he was going to finish originally, but a new question forms in place of the old. Am I myself? I don't feel quite like myself. Crowley doesn't answer straight away. You're a bit turned around, but you'll get there, he says at last. It's a bit like being drunk, proper drunk, not the way we do it. They've been getting drunk together for thousands of years, but it's never felt like this. There's an unnatural warmth to his skin, and he finds himself lifting an arm so Crowley can set that cloth against it, a pricing stretch of coolness, a slow grip of long fingers. A tether. I'd quite like to take my shirt off. Aziraphale thinks that might have been his original thought all along. It seems pressing. Seems like the sort of thing he would want to remember. But the cloth slows and then stops. You don't have to worry about that. I think I got everything. I'm very hot all of a sudden. Aziraphale realizes that he doesn't need Crowley's help or his permission and starts working on his own buttons, clumsy fingers pulling them through the holes 
and only can struggle the shirt back of his shoulders. Crowley sighs, something thin and a little helpless, but then he's setting the cloth down and helping him, untangling the sleeves from arms which are reluctant to obey his commands. Crowley takes the fabric, fingers folding and turning it to lay over the back of the chair rather than hanging it up neatly. Aziraphale tugs at the gesture and is rewarded with a familiar twist of mouth that he finds reassuring. The world may be a little hazy and out of sync, but Crowley is here. Crowley is here, and everything is going to be fine. Perhaps I should take off my undershirt too? The material is soft, but it seems suddenly to be a layer he doesn't need. No, Crowley says firmly, shirts enough. Crowley seems to feel very strongly about it, and he so rarely tells Aziraphale no, so rarely makes him stop, and it leaves him feeling briefly adrift, as if this isn't the way the world is supposed to go. Crowley shouts enough, Crowley says again, if anything more insistent than before. I'm very warm. I just wanted to, to perhaps lie down on the bed and feel the breeze from the open window. Crowley has turned away from him. All he can see is the long stretch of his back at the sink, shoulder blades moving under the thin shirt he's wearing as he runs the water away, wipes at the porcelain in a way that feels strangely intent. You can do what you like later, he says over the sound of the train gurgling. I think I would feel better, Aziraphale tells him. The more he imagines the idea, the more he likes it. You could lie down with me if you liked. We could feel the breeze together. Something falls in the sink and there's the low sound of a kettle losing steam. Crowley doesn't answer him for what feels like a long time, but time has been rather unreliable since the demon left. You trust me to take care of you, don't you, Aziraphale? The words hang, and Aziraphale watches the way Crowley's hand lets the cloth fall into the water, before lowering to curl around the sink, knuckles wide. Aziraphale relaxes where he's sitting, something tight and uncomfortable seeping out of him. Yes, of course I do, of course. Crowley's looking at himself in the mirror now, and Aziraphale is dismayed at how unkind the expression is when he's doing everything he can to help. Thank you, Crowley, he offers into the quiet, because he wants Crowley to know how much he appreciates the assistance. He's not sure he could have made the other demon go away on his own. 
He imagines it wouldn't have been a question of politely asking him to leave. He's not sure where the fellow even is now, or what Crowley did with him. But he wants Crowley to know that he's grateful. I'm so very grateful, darling, for your assistance. I can be quite silly sometimes, and if I got myself into any trouble. Crowley turns away from the sink, crosses the bathroom in one sliding movement, then he reaches down and gestures for Xerophir to rise. Here, stand up. Xerophir grasps the offered hands and rights himself. The cloth had helped some, but he still feels unspeakably, unbearably hot. You said you wanted to lie down on your bed for a bit. Feel the breeze, Crowley suggests. There's something a fraction too tight about his smile, something strained. Are you all right, Crowley? I haven't asked, have I? How rude of me. Are you quite all right? Fine, come on. We'll take your shoes off and you can have a bit of a nap. Everything will be better once you've slept it off. Aziraphale lets Crowley lead him along the short, narrow hallway, one hand lifted to touch the doors they pass, checking which one is the bedroom. It's been so long since Aziraphale had been up here that he'd quite forgotten the color of the bedspread. He doesn't normally forget things, not in a way he can't shake loose if you give him a moment to prod the old memory into action. Blue, he says to Crony with a sound of triumph. I believe it's a blue floral one. Forget-me-nots, if I recall correctly. Isn't it funny how things can get lost in that? The way they can fade like photographs you don't look at. He's turned and eased down onto the bed while Crowley bats the curtain aside and opens the small window. Aziraphale probably should do something about warning them if Crowley is just going to open them willy-nilly, but the breeze is very nice. He supposes he should try to be helpful rather than simply sitting here and doing nothing. Crowley is being so good, and he can't be expected to do everything. But it turns out his shoe is rather a long way away, a difficulty he'd never encountered before. You're going to fall on your face, Crowley grumbles, sinking between his knees in an awkward crouch, so he can unpick the knot of his brogues and tuck the laces loose. Aziraphale so rarely gets to see him this close, to see the fine curves of his face, his strangely delicate eyelids and the long line of his nose. He can't stop himself lifting a hand, letting his fingers trace the features he knows so well, which he finds that he has more feelings about than he'd ever imagined. Crowley catches his wrist, 
fingers sharp around the shape of it for a moment. He draws it down and away, settles it firmly against the zero field's own knee while he works on the other shoe. I'll get you a glass of water. How about that? So you don't have to go wandering around the workshop when you get thirsty. Are you going to stay with me? Aziraphale wonders. The idea appeals very much. I'll stay for a bit. The words sound begrudging, and for the life of him, Aziraphale can't work out why. Perhaps Crowley finds the whole business rather silly. Getting himself into a pickle in his own shop. No. No, he's already dismissing that thought before it fully forms. Crowley would never think that. You're always so kind when I do silly things. You forgive me so many of my faults. Don't talk nonsense. No, no, it's true. There's so much you let me get away with. And... I don't tell you enough how much it means to me, how much you mean to me. I'm not sure what I would have done if you weren't here with me. You are something of a beloved constant. Thank you. Hush, don't. I'm just tidying up, that's all. Doing hell's dirty work, as usual. Oh, darling. I know you do more than that. His hand is free again, Crowley's fingers busy on his laces, so he takes the opportunity to touch Crowley's hair, to feel the way the fine strands slip through his fingers, the warmth of his scalp beneath. I see how vibrant and fierce and lovely you are. Crowley stops unlacing him, the shape of him stiff where he kneels. He doesn't feel hellish at all. There's a silky softness he didn't expect, fingers turning and stroking until it becomes hypnotic. Only Crowley catches his hand again. He doesn't draw it down straight away, but holds it with the palm half over his cheek, the flare of heat from the skin something like a comfort. But just as quickly, Crowley is moving his hand away, letting it fall. Come on, stretch out on the bed, and try not to think about too much for a few hours. It's the easiest way to avoid getting bitten by a compulsion and wandering off. Sounds fiendish. Aziraphale would have quite liked his socks taken off too, but he can't convince his toes to obey, so he falls back against the pillows instead. They are very cool and very soft. That's me. Crowley says quietly, You're fiend. Aziraphale spends a moment fascinated by the play of light on the ceiling, until sleep eventually claims him. The End